This is you and your body with Katie Asari. Let's shed the stigma, move through the awkwardness, and get a bit uncomfortable together. Let's talk about our bodies. Thank you so much for listening. So this thing happened to me a few weeks ago that I've been wanting to tell you guys about. So basically, I was uh, going somewhere for like a um, like a park, socially distant celebration for someone's birthday, um, uh, and I showed up, and immediately when I walked in, I felt like a little pang of anxiety, and I was like, oh, I wonder, hmm, like what's making me feel a little on edge? And then as I kept looking around, I realized that I felt that way because all the women who happened to be at this event happened to be very small, like quite petite and very, very thin. And it was such a moment that was like, for me, felt like a throwback to like being a teenager where all of a sudden I felt that difference right away, right? I was like, oh no, I'm different. I had this instant sense of nervousness Um, and it was just wild to witness in myself and to be like oh that huh there's still some like growing to do here right like we think we're over that stuff but nope insecurity's a (laughs) knocking you know Um, and I just wondered when you guys feel like that you know what are those little things you realize sometimes are hard to let go of those little remnants of the way you used to view yourself or the way that you used to worry about others viewing you that you're just working to let go of, you know, or even notice. I think that was the coolest part was that I noticed it and was able to take a few deep breaths and be like, I look fire. My outfit's lit and I'm a hot babe. Like, There's nothing to be stressed about. Like, this is just my body is a little different. Doesn't mean it's any less sexy and fun. So, definitely had the moment. Took a few deep breaths. But it was cool to be able to work through it a little bit. So, I guess that's what I'm hoping for us all. That the more we share and talk about this weird stuff that we all experience, then maybe it'll feel a little less lonely next time you've got that feeling. At least that's what I hope for you. Uh, Now we're going to have a conversation with the incredible Mia. I can't wait to share this conversation. Uh, She really blew my mind and pushed on some places that I'm still a little uncomfortable, like reclaiming the term fat and making that okay. There were so many cool moments where she really opened my eyes, and I can't wait to share it with you. Enjoy. excited to have you. Um, you don't have a jingle yet. Should we, uh, should we make one up? Definitely. You got any good ideas? You and your body. You and your body talk. There we go. Now. <laughs> Perfect. I'm Isn't in. 
<laughs> Nailed it. We don't need any other help. No, nope. we're a professional offering. We don't want it. We have our own. We've got it. <laughs> um, and I'm here today with Mia. Uh, Mia, do you want to go by your whole name? I'm sorry, I forgot to look at your email. No, just call me Mia. That's fine. Awesome. This is Mia. Um, and me and I have known for each other for a long time in kind of similar circles, but I felt like we really got to connect pretty recently um, in a cool way that I'm really excited about. Um, but yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about your, like what your life, like what are you doing? What are you into in the world? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that in terms of like you and your body and, and what comes up for me, I think a lot about me and my relationship with food and how that relates to my body. So that's, I will touch on that a lot throughout this conversation because that's kind of like the spin that I'm taking on it and kind of the trajectory of my career. Um, But my relationship with my body has been really complex and that is, a majority of that is because of my relationship with food and the two are super related obviously we need yeah. to eat to survive and um we also there's also like a lot of shame in our culture around food there's also a lot of celebration around food so I think it's just really really complex and my relationship with my body kind of all started um I guess when I was, I mean, kind of when I realized what it meant to like be in a body that was bigger. And so that relates to what I'm doing now because it kind of took me on this trajectory where I was always hyper-conscious of my body, hyper-conscious of what I was eating and food and ended up pursuing a career in nutrition, um, which is interesting. And we can definitely like dive into the, for sure <laughs> the layers of that because that's kind of its own thing but um that then led me to intuitive eating so now i am studying intuitive eating becoming an intuitive eating um, counselor certified intuitive eating counselor and pursuing a job that is less about nutrition and definitely not about weight loss and more about how we kind of go back to um where we started with food. So like when you're a baby or a toddler or a young child, you don't really think about what you're eating. You eat when you're hungry, you cry when you're hungry, you ask mom for food when you're hungry and you stop when you're full. Um, You don't see children binge eating. Why is I never even thought about that. Right. And so when do kids start binge eating? um, Binge eating is, is really a result of restrictive dieting. So kids don't binge eat. And that's kind of the whole point. So my whole thing now is I want to take people back to that, um, to that place of like being more in tune with their body and not thinking about eating in terms of rules, but more in terms of what they want and what they need. Well, and that's kind of how we connected recently, right? Because we've known each other socially for a long time, right? Like we've always had fun together. And like, I've enjoyed getting to know you. But then I saw you post something about looking for people willing to talk about their relationship with food, like a food relationship counseling. And I was like, I, I need that. <laughs> like, I'll sign up for that, please. Um, just because immediately there wasn't even that much description, but I know that my relationship with food is, is messed up. <laughs> like, I, I know that it's a little bit toxic. I think um, those are, for sure. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and it was just really cool to get to go through that experience with you of actually sitting down and talking about it. And so there may be times where you rehash some things that you and I have already talked about privately, but that I think would be really useful. 
you know, for other people to relate to. Cause I think that our stories are quite similar. And I think a lot of people have a similar relationship with food as a young child, you know? Yeah. And working with you is, was so great and so interesting because you're, you're one of those people that I worked with that was like, you're, you're kind of right on the edge of you really, it really seemed like you were ready to kind of give that up, but you know, you were still using Noom and you were still weighing yourself. And so I just find that whole relationship, (laughs) even though it was for something that I was doing through school and like, we weren't necessarily working um, with each other professionally yet, I still found that like a total win for you to kind of just jump over that edge and get to that place of like, why am I doing this? And what is, how, how is this serving me? And, oh, it's not serving me. And so that was just really incredible to see because that is that work in action. And, and you were easy in that way. Cause you were right there. <laughs> like you were having all the thoughts and it kind of seemed like you just needed that extra nudge. So you were like a dream client, honestly. Um, oh, well, thank you. Well, I was very much in that moment where like, I wanted to feel better in my body. Like, you know, like all of us, I think that you know, I, what I really want, if I can clear down my goals to it, is I want to feel good in my body. And that actually has nothing to do with how much I weigh, you pointed out very nicely. <laughs> but in my head, that was equating to I needed to lose weight. And so, and I've been, you know, a yo-yo dieter. I've been up and down all across my life. And I think I just, I reached this point where I wanted to feel better in my body. And I thought the answer was using a weight loss tool. But then as soon as I started, I was like, ooh, this, I feel shame. <laughs> like, I don't, I haven't felt this shame creep up in a long time. And this is not making me feel better about my body or feel more in touch with it. Um, yeah. So I definitely think I was ready to open that conversation. But I guess to rewind it a little bit for people listening, how would you describe your relationship with your body as a younger person? So that is definitely where it all started. And I think it is where it, this journey starts for a lot of people in this line of work. Um, I listen to, I mean, I'm just like heavy in the research on this and I listen to a lot of podcasts. And um, if you listen to Chrissy Harrison's, for anyone interested in this, Chrissy Harrison's podcast, Food Psych is a great Mm -hmm. place to start. And one of the questions she asks when she opens up um, the discussion is, tell me about your relationship with food and your relationship Mm -hmm. with your body. And it's, you know, everyone has so many similar stories and it all starts back when they were kids and they, they learned that their body was wrong from some, someone, you know, a teacher, a parent, um, maybe classmates, maybe you got bullied and then they go on a diet. And then that kind of just opens up this whole world of a tumultuous relationship with food because it starts with, um, kind of unlearning your natural cues at a very young age and learning to live by rules and then uh, compacting that with all of the shame and guilt that comes along with when you're not able to live within those rules. Um, And so that all started for me when I was about, I would say like 10, maybe 11. Um, I always say that like, I learned that my body was in air quotes wrong. Um, and I kind of learned that I was fat. I was like, okay, I guess I'm this thing. Mm -hmm. I am this label. And my parents, so many people relate to that. Yeah. I remember even Kwesi said before, like he didn't know that he was black until he went to school. 
He's yeah. like, I thought I was just another kid. Like, yeah. I didn't know I was anything. I just thought I was a kid. I didn't realize that I was, like, a different color than everybody else. Because everyone I knew was my color. I know. Uh, I think it's the Funny. same way. Like, we go through the world. Like, I didn't realize I was chubby until I went to school. And then everyone started making fun of me. And I was like, oh, wait. <laughs> Apparently, this difference is bad. Yeah, it's very interesting to think about how I learned that. And I'm sure it was just, you know, a, a lot of different factors. There's a lot of like fat people shamed in the media so I'm sure there was tv shows I'm sure I was and then when I was 12 my parents sent me to like a after school weight loss camp and I didn't really Mm -hmm. I remember like feeling confused you know they sat me down they're like you're gonna do this program you go to this place this gym um every day and it's like a kid's program and you play games and then you have a nutrition class and Mm -hmm. I was kind of like oh okay yeah I guess this is what I do because I'm fat. <laughs> yeah. And looking back, it's so funny because uh, it's just so obvious that it was just a genetic thing. You know, it's just the way my body was. It's natural body diversity. But because the way society views fat people, it was wrong, even though I was perfectly healthy and eating the same things my sister did. Um, and do you think your parents, like, I, I didn't necessarily go to, like, an after-school program of any kind, but I just remember, like, I think it definitely came from my mother's well intentions. I think she thought she was doing what she was supposed to. I think she was like, I'm supposed to be healthy, I'm yes. supposed to model it for my daughter, and then I'm supposed to encourage her to be healthy. And so yeah. I don't think that my parents ever were like, let's make our child have disordered eating. I think it just... Yeah. I don't either, and I don't blame them at all. They were just doing what they thought was best with what they yeah. had. And my mom had struggled with her weight, her, or her, I should say she struggled with her body image her whole life. And she didn't want me to suffer the way that she suffered. And she saw non-suffering as thinness, um, which is no fault of hers, you know? Yeah. And so we're really looking at this like larger systemic problem Mm -hmm. and, you know, marginalizing fat bodies is really like a social justice issue. Um, because we're treating people differently. And she, that's what she saw. She didn't want me to be treated differently because mm-hmm. I was in a larger body. So she did what she thought she had to do, which was put me on a diet. And then from there it was like diet, you know, Weight Watchers and Jenny Craig and I <laughs> um, South Beach diet, Adkins, everything. And then of course let's spiral that into an eating disorder because that's the natural progression. And that's yeah. just what happens. Um, one of the biggest predictors of disordered eating and actually weight gain, um, putting an asterisk next to that, because I don't want to like say that that's necessarily inherently bad, gaining weight or being bigger. But one of the biggest predictors of that is, is starting a diet when you're younger. Mm-hmm. Which is For interesting. Sure. And, you know, we have that research now um, and we have those studies now, but at the time, you know, she didn't have that. So totally. Have you ever had that conversation with her now that you're doing all this work? Yeah, we've had many conversations now. And I mean, she sees it. um, And she still, but she still struggles herself and Mm -hmm. struggles with um, just always wanting to lose weight. And it's a really hard loop to get out of for anyone. Um, Yeah. But I think she understands and you know she she definitely doesn't diet in the same way that she used to but she like I know she still uses Weight Watchers and um, mm-hmm. we've definitely had some more heated conversations and um, 
them. It's like a really personal belief system. Yeah. Totally. I was just curious. Because even with my own mother, we have not discussed it, but I think before the podcast comes out, I'd like to have a conversation with her just so she doesn't feel blindsided, you know? I don't want her to ever feel like I think she was bad or did bad things raising me. I think she did her best, you know? And I think yeah. she absolutely thought that she was doing the right thing for our family. Like, my dad got diabetes in his late 20s. Like, my dad has some pretty serious health problems yeah. that could have been mitigated with some changes in his behavior and the things he was eating and putting into his body. And so I think she was just really scared that, that would be my future, okay. you know, and that she, I think it came from a place of wanting to make sure that I was quote unquote healthy. Yeah. And that's what, and that's how we did that. <laughs> I think in the nineties and the early two thousands, that's, that's what she thought was the right path. Mm -hmm. But I definitely see how it like, I could only have grilled chicken, vegetables and rice at home. But then I would just like binge eat junk at other people's houses. <laughs> I was like, if I can't have any like unhealthy snacks, then I'm just going to go wild at the kids' houses who get unhealthy snacks. And that's exactly what happens. Um, you know, our, our brains are, <laughs> our bodies in general, they're so wise. And we are designed to um, live through famines. And so when we start restricting calories, our body doesn't know the difference between uh, a diet and a famine oh, because of how we evolved. So it starts to employ very powerful mechanisms to fight the very calorie restriction that we are actually intending to do. So increased appetite, um, it messes with our hunger hormones, leptin and ghrelin, and then it will decrease energy. So we'll get tired, lethargic, and slow our metabolism so that we store more fat. <laughs> And then you're trying to work out the whole time too, because you get to eat more if you work out. So you're like desperately trying to eat more or desperately yeah. trying to work out so you can get yeah. a little bit more food. I know. It's just the cycle. And I think that that's really, I would love to just like underline that right now for anyone listening. If there's anyone who experiences like binge eating or this out of control eating, um, it is a reflection of restriction. And that can be mental too. So even if that's, I shouldn't have that, you're not necessarily maybe actually restricting calories, but even the mental uh, mindset of I can't eat that will then trigger the desire to eat it. And then you kind of get that like last supper syndrome. So where <laughs> I get it so many times. <laughs> I'm, I, diet starts tomorrow. So let me just eat all of this tonight because I'm never getting it again. And, um, that's the spiral and that's the, that's the yo-yo dieting and that's the loop that people get into that can be really dangerous. So. One. Yeah. I, how many times have I had the last supper? I could just think of so many times where I was like, well, I'm never eating pizza again. So I'm definitely eating a bunch of pizza and some blah, blah, blah. And it just, right. and I don't, and A, you feel like shit. Like after you eat it all, you're like, oh, I actually physically feel ill. I know. So this is a phenomenon. So what if I pose the question, you know, what if you just ate the slice of pizza knowing full well you could have another one tomorrow or the next day or the next day or the next day because you don't restrict food? And what would that look like? Do you think you could stop at one or two or when you're full more? Um, that's a better way of saying it. Like, could you actually stop when you're full? And I think that's, that's the goal. And that's kind of the answer I believe is yes. And that's what, um, food freedom kind of allows for is 
just that flexibility. How do you help people figure out their hunger signals? Because I do think that at some point mine have gotten so messed up. Like I realized over quarantine that I actually do experience thirst. I think I'm normally so busy, uh-huh. especially at school. Like I'm a high school teacher, so I'm just running around all day like a fool. And I think I just, I never, I never drink enough water. And then since I've been home and a little bit slower pace of life, mm-hmm. I'll notice that I'm thirsty. But at this point, I still only notice it as, like, water sounds good, and I'll be like, that's probably thirst. Like, you should go drink some water. I feel like I'm just trying to rediscover what full feels like and what hungry feels like and, like, what those actual sensations are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about dieting is that it messes up our signals. And so a lot of intuitive eating coaching is kind of relearning how to – Um, be more in tune with our bodies and so it does kind of look like how you're experiencing thirst it's similar so I mean there's similar mechanisms so it's going to feel similar so it's about slowing down Um, and it's different for everyone of course but it can be about um, adding some mindfulness it can be about kind of like figuring out what the different cues are so your stomach growling, um, thoughts about food, maybe your um, salivatory glands start to start. Like there's there's a lot of different ways that you can start to recognize hunger. And then it's just about bringing awareness to that over and over again. Um, and it's the same with fullness. I mean, we can kind of like turn that off too with repeated dieting or just messing up our relationship with food in general. And um, it kind of looks the same. It's slow, slowing down, noticing the sensation in your stomach. How are you feeling? And uh, intuitive eating, it preaches like, I shouldn't say preaches. It kind of, um, inform- the, one of the guidelines is to start eating when you're at like a three or a four and to stop when you're at like a six or a seven or an eight. So it's kind of like feeling what, that is for you feeling out and one is like I'm about to die of hunger and 10 is like I could vomit because I'm so full exactly and so you never want to start eating at a one yeah or two because then you eat until a 10 um and so being in tune with your hunger signals is really empowering because you're like oh I'm getting a little bit hungry this seems like probably a good time to eat so I don't get too hungry um and then you can kind of just be more in tune with your body signals and stop at like a seven or an eight. And it's also a lot of really powerful. It is. I think it is too. And you know, it's not always going to be perfect. No. Um, Like this is a journey for anyone. And I mean, it's still a journey for me, even though I'm learning a lot of it and kind of like try and practice that in my life a lot. It's still like there are guidelines and you're never perfect. Um, but it is really a beautiful practice because it's about being in tune with like what your body needs. What, how is this vessel informing you instead of outside um, informants like the food police or your friends or diet culture? Those are great examples. I also feel like I, um, I feel like I'm very much starting to try and do some of this and it feels really good. I've been noticing too during quarantine 
well, and hopefully forever now that I'm a little bit more aware of it, but I notice when I crave vegetables. Like, I don't think I ever in the past would have, like, craved vegetables or noticed it, but I've been noticing when I, like, my body wants something green. Like, it's tired of carbs. Like, it needs some nutrients. And I can feel it in a way that's cool. Yeah. And I mean by feel it, to be really concrete for anyone listening, I mean, like, I think about a salad and I'm like, that sounds good. <laughs> like, that's the extent of what, it's not some, like, mystical thing for me. It's like, water sounds delicious. Mm-hmm. You're probably thirsty. Or, like, asparagus sounds really good. Like, maybe I should eat a vegetable. Like, yeah. maybe some sort of vegetable is what my body needs right now. Mm-hmm. And then also trying to notice, like, I eat a bit too much ice cream and I feel farty and gross. <laughs> like, that wasn't enjoyable. Like, was it worth it? I'm not sure yet. It could be yes. Like, I'm not saying I'm not going to eat ice cream, but, like, yeah, maybe I could have done a bit less. Like, maybe a a little bit less ice cream, but I wouldn't feel, like, so bloaty and gross. Exactly. That's just um, gathering information. That's all you're doing, you know. Uh, Being on a journey of letting go of dieting and uh, becoming an intuitive eater is not about being perfect ever. It's about gathering information about you all the time what would you say to somebody who um like really pushes back hard on this concept and is like well it'll never work like you're just gonna stay fat forever Mm -hmm. your health is in danger the one I hear a lot too is like it's bad for you you're gonna like die young and get lots of diseases if you don't lose weight Mm -hmm. well there's a lot of layers here (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I threw a lot of objections at you, but we start with so the health one. Let's start there. Yeah. Um, so need to lose weight for health. So if someone needed to lose weight for, for their health, I would do a couple of things. I first would encourage them if they had a history of dieting, which most people do, I would encourage them to look at that and see if it has served them. Because often dieting for most people, 95% of people do not successfully um, keep the weight off that they lose on a diet. So you have a 5% success rate. <laughs> at wow. this. I remember you asking me that question because yeah. I have, I've done Weight Watchers. I have like my fitness pal. I've like, I've done all the like food tracking based programs. And I remember I was having a bit of a hard time letting go. Like yeah. the idea of letting go of those feels scary. Like feels a little out of control to me. Mm-hmm. And I was feeling really, anxious about it and I remember you saying well has it worked (laughs) and I was like not long term obviously or else I wouldn't still be here and I think that was a really pivotal question Mm -hmm. so I just like that you brought that question up like has it served you Mm -hmm. I think is an important thing to think about I mean I would just start there and, and and then I would follow it up by maybe pointing out the ways that not only does it not serve you but it actually causes harm um so maybe disordered eating, there's, there's a lot of um, health impacts from yo-yo dieting. It's, Mm -hmm. it's definitely negatively impacts our health. Um, And that's supported in the literature, supported in the research. And so there's like whole risks within dieting um, itself. And Mm -hmm. then I would just focus on health creating behaviors and that that don't necessarily um correlate with weight loss or don't Mm -hmm. necessarily bring weight loss um they could 
you could lose weight, but that's not the goal. So if the goal is to increase your health, okay, let's incorporate more fruits and vegetables. Let's incorporate movement. Let's incorporate more fiber. Let's stop eating um, as many processed foods and like, let's find some swaps. Like there's so many ways to increase health and, you know, stabilize blood sugar and um, promote good heart health without focusing on weight loss. And one of the, like one of the key studies that I love to talk about that I think is so important is a study that looked at um, normal weight. I, I mean, this is just what they call them. I don't really love to use the word obese because it's like medical, is a pathologist, pathologization? Help me say that word. What word is it? When you pathologize, pathologize something. Oh. Um, anyway. I don't know. Yeah. It's turning into a pathology. Yeah. That's what it's doing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, they took a group of normal weight people and a group of obese people. And, she air quoted normal they, and obese just to give her cred there. Yeah. I'm putting it in quotes because um, that's how they categorize people. Um, and they broke them into four groups and the first group had one health promoting habit and the second group Ooh. had two third had three fourth had four so that would look like the and the habits were movement um fruits and vegetables non-smoking and non-drinking so like the first group if they had one of those habits like they didn't smoke mm -hmm. Um, or they didn't drink or whatever, but then they didn't have the rest. And then the second group, they had two all the way up till four. And so the fourth group, group, they all had all four. And when you look at, this is really great as a visual, but, um, when you look at the first group, the obese group had higher rates of mortality than normal weight with one healthy habit. But as you go up, the difference gets smaller and smaller and smaller to the point where, the difference between the obese group and the normal weight group wherein they both had four healthy habits was almost indistinguishable in regards mm. to their um, overall mortality risk and so that's just a really great example of how weight does not determine health it's more about your actual habits it's kind of like a symptom so yeah if you're not eating healthy and you're not moving and maybe you have some other things going on that contribute, like other poor healthy habits um, that contribute, then you're not going to be healthier and you might like be at a heavier weight, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the weight is causing um, your poor health. It's just kind of a symptom of, of other things but a higher weight can also be a result of like genetics and um, medications and a lot of other things. And so I think that's a really great way of, of looking at it too, that it's like, you wouldn't see like a smoker who had yellow teeth. You wouldn't be like, you have yellow teeth, so you're going to die. You'd be like, <laughs> no, you're smoking. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so we often associate it with poor health um, because there is a correlation sometimes, but it doesn't mean that the weight is causing the poor health. 
mm. or that losing the weight is going to bring better health. I think that's fascinating and that, true. Does that all make because, sense? Yeah, I think it does. Because what I'm, what I'm hearing is like the examples I can think of where like, here's an example. Um, another guest on the podcast I was talking to um, used to be in a very small body, like because of disordered eating small body. Um, and I met them at yoga teacher training and thought that they were like the epitome of what I should become, that they were just like this perfect human being. But turns out like they couldn't walk up a hill because they were so weak from, so like they had a tiny body, but that didn't necessarily equate with quote unquote health. Like if you actually went to a doctor with this person, they would not be considered healthy. Right. Like I think we make a, we often see too on the other scale that there's people with really large bodies who can do incredible things. Right. Their body. I know. It's, it's just a, a result of our culture hammering in this idea of thinness as this pinnacle of health and I mean just look at all the magazine covers we consume or have consumed over the years you know it's crazy and you know to bring like this a great example of this that has been in um, recent news is Adele's weight loss and that's like so because I saw that and I you know, everyone's like, congratulations, and you look so amazing, and like celebrating this really, really drastic weight loss that happened very fast, and people are like, good for you, taking charge of your health. I mean, I read all the comments on her original Instagram post, Mm -hmm. and it was mind-boggling, and what I want to ask when I see that photo of her is like, are you okay? You know, she went through a divorce. Like, we cannot assume that because she's thinner, she's healthier. On the contrary, she could be a lot less healthy. You know, she could be stressed or depressed or um, have developed an eating disorder. Like, we don't know what's going on. Maybe she um, has a, a disease that we don't know about. You know, people lose a lot, of, like, a lot of weight when they get diagnosed with cancer. And I'm not saying she has cancer, but I'm just saying that you don't know what someone's going through by looking at them. But because of this idea that we have of, thinness being healthy that's what that's all we see is that she got healthy absolutely I have a really good friend who lost a lot of weight because of really severe depression and she said it was the weirdest thing to hear people continue to compliment on her on something that like she knew was because it was she was not well like she knew that it wasn't because of a healthy habit she developed it was because she was sad and couldn't function you know yeah and I also think about the detriment that like so I at one point lost a lot of weight when I was in my like, I was like 20, 21 ish. Mm-hmm. And to see the immediate reaction and how people responded to me differently, like yeah. the whole world treated me different when I was thin. I mean, especially men, you know, like in terms of dating, I was like, oh, all of a sudden everyone wants to date me now that I'm thin, which is fascinating. And then just constant compliments and people saying, but then the hard part is that then when you gain the weight back, you have to hear all that in your head. Like, not that necessarily everyone's going to, but when I did gain the weight back, I had to know how people thought I didn't look as good, people weren't as attracted to me. Like, you have to live with all of that. I just think people need to be really cautious when making any comments about people's bodies. Or just don't. My recommendation is don't and ask how people are. Mm -hmm. Like, if you notice a body change in a friend, just ask them how they're doing. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just think it's such a dangerous thing to set up for people that they're worth is tied to other body looks. And I think whether or not we mean to do it, that's how some compliments like that come off. 
It's like yeah. you're a better person because you're thinner or you're more worthwhile or you have value that you didn't have before. It happens a lot and it's happened to me. I lost a significant amount of weight in my 20s as well. And I mean, it completely changed the way people treated me, especially men. And that's really hard to ignore. And so I do want to acknowledge that like this work and doing this work and accepting your body um, while rewarding, it is harder for people in larger bodies because of the way that our culture um, praises thinness. You know, we get a lot of privileges for being in smaller bodies. Does that mean that we should strive for that? No, because there's so many risks that come along with it and so many other detrimental parts of pursuing weight loss. Um, but I just think that it's like really important to acknowledge that on this journey, like it's not as easy for people in larger bodies because of the discrimination and um, because of like all of the attention you get when you are smaller. And so I like to think of that when I think about that, because that was always what was driving me to lose weight. It wasn't about my health. It was about attention and validation. So Mm -hmm. there's a couple. I used to literally jog and say in my head, like, no one will love you if you're fat. And I would tell myself that while I jogged every day to try and get skinny because I wanted a boyfriend. Right. I just, I never had a boyfriend and I was 20 and I was like, the only way to get a boyfriend is to get skinny. And so I forced it to happen and it was absolutely Uh, obviously fucked up (laughs) like it's clearly shaming myself (laughs) totally and there's just like I mean there's a couple things if there's anyone listening that this resonates with there's two things I want to point out about this one is I think it's really important to like grieve the loss of having a smaller body to like go through that Mm -hmm. process and to acknowledge that it's hard and not to pretend like you can just wake up and love yourself in a larger body mm-hmm. and to acknowledge that like there are things that will be different when you're in a larger body and you will be treated differently and to grieve that and like part ways with it mm-hmm. and make peace with it that's really important um and the other thing how do we do it is my question a good therapist. Oh, yeah, because this is hard. Not all me. Um, yeah, I think therapy, um, yeah. like a lot of self-work, um, mantras, like there's a lot of different different ways, books. Um, I know. I've also just tried to make my social media more larger body accepting. That, that's a great way. Because I still feel it. I mean, thanks for bringing this point up because I think it's important. Because to be honest, I still grieve it in a lot of ways. I think for a long time I was stuck in this like angsty teen phase about my body where I was like, well, I got fucked, so I'm pissed about it. Like for a long time I was just mad. I was like, I don't know why my life has to be so much harder. Sometimes I'm still mad. (laughs) Right? 100%. Sometimes I'm still mad about it. Yeah. I just, I don't really went through it. Yeah, I definitely went through phases of getting really frustrated. Where I was just like, why did my life have to be so much more difficult? Which, yeah. like, you know, I think that's okay. I still have moments of it where I, like, am so frustrated. But I want to pause, pause right there because I think that I get stuck in the same loop. And yeah. uh, I think that it is harder in some ways, but it's probably less hard in other ways that other people's lives are harder in. Totally. So, like everyone has their shit and like that's just your shit and it's 
it's difficult because I think one of like our main drivers in life is like to find love and find partnership. And as a young girl, Mm -hmm. you think you are unlovable if you're like chubby or curvy or fat or whatever words you want to use. Um, but I think that I, I was listening to a podcast one time and I love this. This was so poignant for me. Um, the woman was talking about, you know, dating a larger body and she was, she was making kind of the point that I'm making now that you don't know what other people have. And one thing that she said that really stuck with me is that like really attractive, you know, supermodel, beautiful women, they, they tend to attract a lot of narcissists because Mm. narcissists want trophy wives. They want women who are a representation of them. They're a, I gained this. And Mm -hmm. so, and obviously this is not across the board, not all beautiful women attract narcissists, but it's just an example of how like being beautiful doesn't necessarily make things easier. Like you attract these guys that prioritize beauty over so many other things. And I always say like, yeah, I think my journey dating is a little bit harder. I think that I get rejected sometimes because of my body and it's also maybe I or maybe I don't but it's something that I navigate myself that can be challenging is um, I oftentimes wonder if like guys are going to change their mind because I'm not skinny enough or I feel insecure until I feel comfortable and safe and loved and you know there's like a lot of challenges to navigate around that but I also am like pretty certain that I will end up with a very good man um someone very like kind and and genuine and someone who like does not think that women have to be thin to be beautiful and so I try and remember that when I'm struggling like yeah I might get rejected a little bit more than my friends who are really thin um, or thinner or really beautiful or whatever but in the end like I'm pretty sure I'll probably end up with someone who's like a really good person So that's another example of like how we kind of like our stories can create this like distorted reality. I think that's so true and so important because I also think that like so my husband and I met in 2009 in my super skinny phase you know which lasted like a year so he was like in that sweet spot where I was super small and then we broke up for two years and I gained like 60 pounds. And so then when we like met back up to get coffee or whatever as friends, I mean, I, I had been crying for days in anticipation because I was so nervous. And I was like, I mean, I know we're Facebook friends, but I was like, do you really know what you're walking into, buddy? Like, I don't know. I was just scared. And I remember, um, we obviously then he asked me on a date the next day and then he asked me my boyfriend that night and I flew back to Chicago. So it went well, but I remember <laughs> later I asked him about it once we'd been together a little bit. And I was like, what did you think whenever you saw my larger body? And I remember him just saying like, well, I just thought that you looked like a woman. He was like, I don't know. I thought that you looked like a sweet, beautiful girl, but I thought like you looked more womanly and I liked it. Yeah. And I just blew my mind that anyone would like it. But I, in my mind, I was like, he might tolerate it. Right. But, like, there's no way that a man could prefer it. <laughs> like, I know. He's just nice enough to tolerate it, is what I think I had imagined. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it meant a lot. I think it means a lot to me still. And I would have a very hard time dating someone who maybe hadn't experienced both and was able to show me that it didn't matter. Yeah. I think it mattered to me that somebody, that the person who I married to saw me at my thinnest and has seen me at my biggest and still loves me. Because, mm-hmm. You're right. It, it, it takes a, a good man, you know? It's going to be a good person. Yeah. Who doesn't so, care, you know? It's not going to be a shallow person. Or <laughs> who, like, 
like you said, prefers it. I mean, there's just so many different types of preferences out there. And I think that we, we can be so narrow minded and thinking about um, attraction, like it has to look one certain way and it just doesn't. It's about so many things. And and don't we want to be with people who have open minds too, who are like, willing to say what they're into even if it's not necessarily what the mainstream culture says is cool you know yeah it's kind of person I want to be around yeah and there's one more point I wanted to make oh I think that oftentimes when we think about thinness and what it will offer us it's um it's good to like call those things out so um like validation um confidence love, security, you know, all these things that we think losing weight will bring us, I think it's important to acknowledge those and then find ways to give those things to ourselves without losing weight. Mm. So how do we find confidence without shrinking our body? Um, Like you talked about curating your social media. I do the same thing. It's changed my life. I mean, we, as humans, we we process images much faster than we process words. So when we're looking at images all day, we're really like shaping the way we view the world. Um, And so one of the best ways that you can kind of change the way that you view your body is by changing what you're exposed to every day. And I mean, that's done like wonders for me. It has actually- It's still hard. Do you ever find it hard? Find what hard? Like, just to be frank, I mean, still, I think sometimes when I see larger bodies, I don't immediately register them as beautiful, and then I start to think bad things about myself at first, and I really, it's gotten way better, though, after six months of having some larger bodies on my Instagram, but, like, I, like, I teared up at first. Whenever I first started doing it, I would, like, be a little upset and be, like, I don't know, it's just hard to confront those images, because I think that's also how someone else would see me, and I think it was just hard to... I don't know. That space was a little hard for me at first. Rewarding, but hard. That makes sense. It's, I think it's really vulnerable and I agree. I mean, it's not, it's not perfect. Sometimes even like people, I'll find myself kind of nitpicking myself against people in larger bodies. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, well, she has that or she doesn't have that. Or like, she's still really beautiful, even though she's big or like, she still has a flat set, like all these things. right um so yeah it's definitely a journey but I just think that kind of exposing yourself to images of women who are like just confident and rocking whatever they have um is is like a great way to start mm-hmm. um but Maybe yeah in the show notes we'll list a few examples of Instagram accounts that we recommend but it's made yeah. a big difference I think in my daily experience to see differently shaped bodies being celebrated mm-hmm. and I do think it was hard at first but I think I've it's really helped my life in general but yeah. I still hate that like I look at the dove ad or whatever with a bunch of different women and my eye still goes to the thinnest one first uh-huh. I notice it but at least I notice it now right in the past I just would have thought that's what you're supposed to do yeah. like now conditioning yeah now I notice the conditioning at least to be like why am I doing that like let's try and scan all the bodies and give them all some love. And so that's all this journey is, is that awareness, like right there, that little piece. It's, it's acknowledging, 
um, what is happening in the moment and then changing the narrative. So it's just Mm -hmm. that awareness. It's like, oh, look at my eyes going to that thinner body. I wonder why that is. Like, get curious about it. Oh, that's probably because I've grown up with those images and I don't know how to even like conceptualize what I think is beautiful outside of what I've been fed. Mm -hmm. You just like break it down in that moment, you know? Um, And we can do that in so many different ways in relationship to our body, in relationship to the way we eat, um, in the way that we talk to ourselves. It's just a practice of awareness and kind of rewiring our belief system. I also wonder if this whole like diet culture and emphasis on thinness, how do I phrase it? I guess for me for a really long time, I felt like I would be worthy when. There was a lot of like, I'm worthy of love when I'm thin. I'm worthy of love when I can run a mile. I'm worthy of love when I can do these things. Uh Um, And I really love the idea of trying to change that narrative. Yeah. Because it's hard, but I mean, for years, I would say to myself, I'm enough whenever I would get those feelings, you know? And I still use it sometimes, but I don't get the feelings as much anymore. But I used to, I mean... I mean, it felt like every second of every day was like, oh, I'm too fat. I'm too this. I'm too that. And I would have to stop and be like, you're enough just as you are. Just try and keep rolling. Yeah. You know? And yeah, that's exactly what it is. And just stopping and being like, you are worthy now. Yeah. And the shape and size of your body doesn't change um, how worthy you are of a great love or a great career or a great life and I think that's really important to recognize and it's a lot of unlearning that you might have to do to get there you anyone me yeah Um, and I've definitely had to do a lot of unlearning to get here but when I look back at who I used to be and how far I've come um I I'm pretty humbled because I think that sometimes we can lose track of the progress we've made because we're so caught up and always trying to like be better, improve and arrive somewhere. And so it's really great to like think back and pick a moment in time or um, a specific memory and put yourself back in that place to kind of see how far you've grown. Mm. Um, I will find myself doing that a lot. Just Anyone to, you want to share? Um, let's see. Well, yeah, I can think of one. This isn't necessarily related to my weight, but um, I think that one of my bigger challenges in life is because of my struggle with my body, my weight at a very young age, I think I often looked to like men in dating as, as validation. Mm -hmm. And so when I would be, when I would get rejected, it was just like, I mean, it was, it was awful. It was astronomical. It was like, um, soul crushing. And I always blamed myself. I was always like, you're not enough. You're never going to be enough. Like no one's ever going to love you the way you are. Um, you're not thin enough and they probably rejected you because of the extra 20 pounds you carry in your tummy. Like, Oh my God, (laughs) if that's why I'm rejected bye. Um, but that was my belief. Right. 
And so honestly, the past couple of years has been a a lot about um, navigating that and kind of like figuring out where that pain comes from and um, wanting to improve that relationship. And I've done a lot of that through dating and my relationships. And I can think back about a time when I was like 23 and I got rejected by this guy, his name was Taylor. And she just dumped me out of nowhere. We'd been dating for like three months and it destroyed me. I mean, I thought about Mm -hmm. it for weeks and this is a guy that I'd been dating for like a couple months, but I just could not understand how he could just change his mind. And it was like completely about me. Like I was, Mm -hmm. I was not enough. And like, it was just this pit in my stomach for weeks and I would drive past the place he worked and I would text him and I just like could not get closure. And um, very recently I was dating someone and he ended things with me and I really liked him and have kind of had a year of doozies in general when it comes to men. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, oh, not again. Um, And I've, but I've developed so many tools over the past year they're like, yeah, I was sad for a day or two, but after that, I was like, I was completely back to myself and, mm-hmm. um, and was like, you know, this really is, I, it, I really like kind of just felt that it was not about me and mm-hmm. felt that like his rejection or acceptance of me, if it went that way, would mean nothing about my worth. My worth is, um, there anyways, and yeah. just unwavering my worth is unwavering and doesn't change regardless of if this guy wants me or not. And it was just like a feeling. And I sat there and I was like, okay, this feels different. Like, yeah, I was really sad. I'm going to miss him. I do feel a bit rejected. And I definitely like cried all day. Um, But then within a week I was like, oh, I'm good. And I was kind (laughs) of like, like his loss, like bummer, dude. Sorry, you're not ready. And I thought back to that time when I got dumped by Taylor and I was like, oh my God, it was like the same length of relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, It was like about the same level of like hanging out. And uh, I was like, I was a different person. Like that was a different person. And that's an incredible example. Yeah, that was a good one. I was like, because I felt, I I was like, oh, I'm sad. I don't want to be sad. I was like, I want to be a cool girl. Like, I just want to let it like, Projection just like roll off me. Like that's what cool girls do, right? (laughs) They wear hoop earrings and scrunchies and they're like, oh, I don't care about that guy. Like, boy, bye, next. I was like, I want to be that girl. I was like, I'm not that girl yet. Like that hurt. And then I was like, oh, but I'm also not that girl anymore. Right? And that's great. It's okay to get hurt. Like rejection hurts. But I feel like it's beautiful when you can't let it penetrate deep enough that it affects your worth. You know, it's okay to be hurt. Yeah. But, you know, we just want to keep it out of that like worth zone it doesn't yeah. deserve to get all the way down in there no fuck yeah it does not get the <laughs> get out of there you don't deserve to be in this section it's like a pesky fly <laughs> right it does kind of feel like a pesky fly sometimes the self-doubt you're like i i know you're still here and we're trying to deal with it but can you just back up like yeah. i'm doing a lot of work here or just be tender with it like a lot of times mm. my uh, less favorable thoughts creep in. Um, I just try to acknowledge them. I'm like, mm. I see you. Like, have compassion for them. I get you. I get exactly where you came from. You're trying to protect me. Thank you. Namaste. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm good here. <laughs> oh, I 
that's a beautiful way to think about it. Yeah. Well, okay, so let me see if I can play this game. So, oh, you know, one that comes up hardcore is try-on clothes. So, like, Hmm. as we all have likely, or at least people who've maybe been through a similar experience, like, the changing room has been a battleground of my life for, Mm -hmm. I don't know, all of it. Um, And I have cried in more dressing rooms than I care to admit. Um, And they just, like, you see me such anxiety. Just the idea of shopping, I would be like, oh, now I'm upset and nervous. And I would, like, try and do, or I would go out shopping with my friends, but I would only get, like, accessories that you don't actually fit onto your body. I was like, I, I had so many shoes. I was the, like, shoe queen of high school, I think. Because I was like, shoes don't make me feel bad about myself. So I can have whatever shoes I want. That doesn't affect it by the shape of my body. So I used to have a million pairs of shoes. And I just remember. That's so funny. Right? And. Oh, yeah. Shoes, shoes, bags, anything that I didn't have to actually put on my body, I was down for. Because I've always loved, like. (laughs) Right? I love to express myself. I, like, I kind of like getting dressed up and stuff now. But for years, I, like, didn't. All of high school, I pretty much wore sweatpants. I would, like, do my hair, but I just, like, form-fitting clothing was terrifying. I mean, for years, I wore a lot of very baggy clothing just because I didn't want to deal with it, and I couldn't handle the image of myself, and um, I think when I look back at, like, some of the things that I've challenged myself to wear and really enjoyed wearing in my life, like, especially at festivals, when I look back at some of the outfits that I've worn in public, <laughs> like my mother might not approve of but that like I wore proudly and it didn't feel ashamed of my body and I remember some of the outfits that I put on at festivals and staying there for a minute and starting to feel that like nervousness or anxiousness and then being able to really stop and take a few deep breaths and be like you know what like you feel great and it's okay and like you can you can handle this so I think I'm just really proud of the way that I've become a little bit more comfortable expressing myself with my clothing. Yeah. And just being less scared. I think I lived in fear for a long time of judgment. Mm-hmm. It's like if I just hide myself then no one else can judge me, mm-hmm. you know, cause I'll just keep myself hidden and maybe that'll protect me. Mm-hmm. I mean, the most, I mean, that's a lot of people go through their lives fearful of what other people think. And I think mm-hmm. one of the most important things to um, recognize about that is that, yeah, sure, people could be judging you, but that is a reflection of them, not exactly. you. And that's a very real possibility, but that's on them. You don't have to carry that, you know? Totally. Well, and anyway, that's a deeper life's work of mine. I deeply care what other people think in a way that's a little bit too much, but yeah. I've been able to recognize it, and it's gotten a lot better. Yeah. You know, that like I used to really live my life to impress other people. I think if I really looked deeply at what I cared about, I cared about what other people thought, not even what we did. Like, I remember getting into arguments with Quasi years ago where he was like, I don't think you care if we actually have fun. I think you just want a picture for Instagram. And I was like, ooh, that hurts. Like, that's a deep blow because, like, well, I think it's a little exaggerated. Like, I see your point. Yeah. Like, I do care too much what other people think versus my actual experience I'm having. I mean, don't we all? Oh. <laughs> to some degree, for sure. Um, and I think it affects my relationship yeah. with my body, you know, because it's the same, it's easy to project those same principles with my body, that, like, it cares, it matters to me more what other people think about me or what other people think about my body than what I do. Yeah, I think it's really hard to separate those things out. Um, almost impossible. And I think that that is definitely a life's work. 
thing and to know that everyone else has it going on too you know yeah um i think it's hard but it sounds like you've made a lot of improvement so that's amazing i try well as we all do you know yeah i think you grow and i know for me something about like turning 30 was pretty pivotal in my like life growth and development mm-hmm. i don't know hitting i just for some reason i just like stopped caring so much what people thought something about getting older and just being like actually do i care like you know, is it worth it? Like, if that person doesn't dig me, isn't that just, like, okay, and then maybe we're just not meant to be friends? Like, you know, do I, does everyone have to like me? I read the best young Pueblo quote the other day that was Mm. talking about that. It was, like, I can't remember exactly what it was, but said something along the lines of, you know, people might not like you, might, you know, say things about you, might um, put you down, but, like, your strength is in like knowing who you are and knowing that you're showing up the best that you can and like being kind and so then why does it matter totally and i think that if you can be integrous with yourself and um the way that you interact with the world then what people think about you just doesn't really matter Um, well it's true and think about how many people in, in your own life that you like you don't strongly dislike them, but maybe that's just like, you just aren't close. Like there's, it's not that you hate everyone. I think in our minds, we think everyone either hates us or loves us. In reality, there's a lot of in-between space. Yeah. I'm just like <laughs> neutral floating folks. Yeah. Like it's okay. Like not everyone has to love you or hate you. There has, there's some middle ground. That just reminded me though, but the idea of neutrality in general, mm. that's a great concept to also apply to your body. Because I think that like with so much like self-love and um, love your body and body positivity going around, people think that they have to like love their body to somehow mm. summit this like self-confidence mountain or whatever. <laughs> That's like the peak is when you love your body. But I really like resonate more with the idea of um, body neutrality and just kind mm. of like being neutral. So looking in the mirror and 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 not necessarily thinking like, oh, I'm disgusting, or I need to lose weight, or whatever, or seeing myself and being like, damn, girl, you fly as hell. Like, some days, yes, but not all days, and um, I think the most important thing is to just strive for, like, neutrality, to, like, look at myself and be like, that's me in the mirror, hello, and just kind of feel like, okay, not- My mind is being blown. I know. You don't have to feel amazing and you don't have to feel bad. You can just be neutral. And I think that's just like, that's a great starting point. I've never um, thought about that. And you, you never have to go beyond that. Like you don't have to love your body. Yeah. I think that's an important point. Well, because even think about it, it's like taking a non- non-judgmental stance. Like, can I get to the point where I don't react to my body? Like, I don't necessarily have to react positively or negative, but it's just, like, it doesn't trigger reactions. I don't, like, look at it and become anxious or upset or mm-hmm. shameful. Yeah. It just is. And if you do, that's also okay. And then it's the awareness again, you know? Yeah. Um, bringing in that awareness. So if I have thoughts about my body that are negative, they often trigger thoughts of dieting. So it's like, okay, mm-hmm. tomorrow I need to diet and I need to work out. And I need to lose 10 pounds. And those thoughts are okay. Like there's space for all of it. It's the thought after that matters. So it's like, oh, I'm hearing the diet talk. Um, I'm not gonna listen to that. I'm not gonna diet tomorrow. I'm gonna eat how I wanna eat. 
Um, I'll probably eat healthy, healthy in air quotes, <laughs> because that's mm-hmm. what feels good. Um, but if I don't, then I probably wanted that burger. So uh, I think that that's like another really important component because I still get the thoughts. We all do. I think a lot of people in this community of um, anti-diet and intuitive eating and body acceptance and body positivity, like they all acknowledge that they're all still in this journey too and that the body thoughts affect them too. And I don't think you need to be posting photos of yourself in a bikini to prove that you've um, somehow like finally accepted yourself. Not repeat that one for the crowds in the back. I feel like that's a great thing for people to hear, you know? I think because you're right, it does feel hard. It feels like when you're really in the depth of the body shame, it feels like posting a bikini selfie is like so high and far away that how the fuck am I ever going to get there? But neutrality seems like a great stepping place for me to find some common ground where it's like if I can just get on that ground you know for more time yeah then maybe other things are possible yeah I think you can stay there if you want I mean yeah for sure or I'll stay that's fair I mean I feel like Lizzo's at the peak and I just am not ready to go to Lizzo's zone I mean not all the time but every once in a while you're like I have a Lizzo vibe today I can really accept and love myself. She recently posted this selfie just of her butt in these glorious panties. And she was like, put on some nasty panties and smack your own ass. And I just like, couldn't have loved it more. I was like, thank you for encouraging that. Um, That's amazing. I do feel like she is like um, a large part of bringing this conversation to larger pop culture. You know, like. Absolutely. I don't yeah. feel like other people on her level of popularity were talking about this kind of stuff. No, it's amazing. And how incredible to be a part of this movement because we didn't have this when we were kids. Mm-hmm. There were no, like, there were no beautiful fat women in public spaces, taking up space, like having a voice. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's why I'm so excited about this is like, what an incredible tool to like give younger generations, you know, women are still going to struggle with um, body image issues, but now that it's becoming mainstream, like what a dope thing to be mainstream. Um, People didn't have these tools and like now we have them. It's just like anything changes, you know, Um, things are always changing and we're always like bringing things to light. And I think that's the beauty of social media, social media and like social movements in general um but it's just like let's kind of like keep this wave going totally well and if you think about like some of the stuff we're talking about fat shaming and stuff too that like it is clearly a cultural issue because not all cultures experience bodies that like not all cultures favor thinness like it's pretty clear that this is like a socially constructed idea Mm -hmm. it's not everywhere in the world are people having a preference for thin bodies and I almost feel like you could argue that like part of our like the reason that we hate our bodies so much is because of like all this fear we put around around food so the study they looked at the french compared to the americans and like the way that french feel about food it Mm. compared to how americans feel about food and um they just have a lot americans have a lot more fear around food and then they Mm. also have a lot more health issues related to food so it's just you know 
something to note, right? So the French enjoy their croissants and they enjoy their butter and they enjoy their pasta and their maro and their baguette. And uh, they don't feel guilt and shame around it and don't feel like they should be eating any certain way. And they have great health overall. And they're like mm. eating all these foods that we think are unhealthy. And then we have all this fear around food and we diet, we yo-yo diet, and then we binge eat and we, we don't understand balance or moderation. We have all these health issues. Mm. So, you know, I'm not saying that like it's the whole puzzle, but I think it's a really important piece. It's just like how we think about what we put in our bodies and then how that then relates to, you know, disease and illness and health. For sure. Yeah. Well, and don't, so like, what would your perspective be around this? So like, I just happen to like vintage dishes. So I bought vintage dishes, but I also like that all the dinner plates are smaller because I feel like it helps me get a little bit more of like, I don't measure my food, but I feel like American dinner plates are giant. And then it feels like I want to fill it all and then eat it all. It's become this weird habit of mine. So I tried to get smaller plates, which I actually like because it looks like I'm eating a ton. Mm -hmm. But how do you feel about such a strategy? Well, that's definitely, I mean, if I were working with you (laughs) and you were my client, I would probably, I would love to like eventually move you away from that because I would love to have you get to a place where you could trust your body to stop eating when you're full, regardless of what's on your plate. Mm. Uh, And so that would look like, so like, let's say you're doing that with small plates. We're practicing that with small plates. We're practicing that with large plates. Hypothetically, Mm. um, that would, that practice would look the same regardless of your plate. So let's say you finished eating and you were eating a small plate and you were still hungry and you know you did a mindfulness practice and you tapped in and you said okay it kind of feels like i'm at a five i think um i would feel better if i ate a little more protein or if i had another side of veggies or you know whatever you're eating um you would still get up and eat more even though you had a small plate now let's say you had a large plate and you had a lot of food on your plate and you kind of like checked in with yourself partway through your meal and you were like you know i'm actually i'm actually feeling kind of full i don't think i need the rest of the food on this plate I'm either going to throw it out or I'm going to put it in a Tupperware for tomorrow. Hmm. You know, it would look the same. So I don't think the plate is necessary because if you are eating a smaller portion um, because it's on a smaller plate and that's just like a rule, that's not you eating intuitively. That's basically a rule that you've um, created for yourself. Then are you really following your body's natural cues if you stop eating when everything on the plate is gone maybe maybe because maybe that's the right portion of food for you um but maybe you're still hungry and then if you're doing that every night and you're like kind of like slowly restricting calories um because you're always eating on a smaller plate then saturday sunday rolls around and all rules are off then are you like finishing a huge burger and fries because you're hungry Mm -hmm. because you didn't get enough food all week that would be my question. I just think this is fascinating. I feel like there's a, I feel like it's such a mental shift for people who grew up with diet culture. Mm-hmm. I think it could be really powerful. So I'm just excited to continue so. learning more. Yeah, I, um, I always say that once you see this, you can't unsee it. <laughs> and 
So that's kind of like what brings me back because when we first started talking, remember I said, we can talk about my whole, <laughs> um, the reason I'm in nutrition in general. Well, yeah. like that was dieting. That was me being obsessed with being thin and mm. losing weight and wanting to figure out why I was flawed. I thought I was flawed because I was mm. fat. I was like, there's something wrong with me because I like food. Um, yeah. what was wrong with me was diet culture, but I thought there was something wrong with me. And I, I would say it wasn't until I started going to school. Um, so like a year and a half ago or almost two years ago that I kind of started shifting a little bit. Well, I had shifted a little bit before, but, um, more and more. And then the entire career I had built, which was one um, on helping women lose weight. That's what I wanted to do had now completely shifted because I was like, mm -hmm. I can't unsee this shit. Like, I don't <laughs> want to help people lose weight. Like that's trash. First of all, it doesn't work and it doesn't last. And, um, it just, it didn't align with me anymore. So I just think it's so interesting that like diet culture is so pervasive that it pushed me into a graduate program on food mm -hmm. and nutrition. Like, just let that sink in, you know, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, I had made it my whole life's work to help women shrink. Because mm -hmm. that's what I thought, like, brought me joy. Mm -hmm. And, um, but really, like, I was never, it was never enough. And it wasn't until I found this path and, you know, dove into the research that I was like, there's no, like, I can't unsee this. Like, this is now my life's work. Um, totally. <laughs> because it's just, I mean, it's crazy. I would, yeah, I would love to send you some things for show notes. There's, there's just so much research sure. that supports, like, the damage of dieting and um, all the benefits of, like, eating intuitively and just kind of, like, giving it up you know absolutely and also once I learned all of this I realized I wasn't I was never broken I was never flawed mm -hmm. you know I might have some mm -hmm. genetics that like predispose me to carrying some extra weight and that doesn't mean that I'm broken and that was like such a weight lifted <laughs> pun intended um <laughs> from just like my spirit it was just like going around the world just like thinking that you're flawed because you you like finish food um mm. and not realizing that like the reason I finished food was because I had spent most of my life restricting it mm. I mean maybe just mentally maybe even just like you shouldn't eat that but like mentally physically so many ways um so it wasn't it was never me that was that was broken you know the you don't fail the diet. The diet fails you. Ugh. Diet is is inherently flawed in so many ways. Um, so I just think that's like a really interesting spin. And um, I'm so grateful for like the way that things are shifting and the way that people are starting to um, do research and advocate for, um, you know, health at every size care in in the medical field and in hospitals because the truth is is people's people are still being treated poorly because of their body size like in in medical situations all the time and yeah. um 
just like, you know, anything, reproductive health, like you name it, just because it's a hospital doesn't mean that they know everything, you know, there's a lot of things that doctors don't know. And we're taught, like, there is a huge weight bias in our culture and especially, um, in our healthcare system. I know I got told that I needed to, uh, not that I'm actively trying for the sake of my mother, but I got told that if I ever wanted to have a baby, I had to lose weight. Yeah. And I remember just being like super hurt and being like, well, I'm going to go back on Weight Watchers and like, you know, going through another round of crash dieting. Yeah. I was like, well, if I want to be having a baby the next three years, I got to lose weight or else I'm never going to be able to get pregnant. Um, I don't know if that's based on research or not, but I definitely know it did not positively affect my view of myself. Right. And I think the point is, is like when, when people are going into a doctor's office being told to lose weight, it's not going to make them lose weight. Weight stigma just increases the isolation that fat people experience um, and the judgment. And those things are also really bad for our health. We know that. Right. We know that from like looking at marginalized people all over and fat people are marginalized. So then you get like a fat person of color. And I use that word like reclaiming it, by the way. I'm, yeah. I'm sure you know that. But anyways, and then it's like, <laughs> oh my God, like, do we even know what's actually going on with them? And so it's, it's really important, like advocacy work for people in all bodies too, is to kind of um, advocate for appropriate healthcare despite someone's size. And what that looks like is not um, telling a person in a larger body that they need to lose weight when they come into the doctor. And it also looks like treating their healthcare problem like you would anyone else, despite their body size. Mm -hmm. And um, Evelyn Tripoli, she's the one who created intuitive eating. Like one quote that I love from her that she says, is show me the evidence that this is like ethical and safe. And that's a great thing to ask a healthcare provider when they prescribe weight loss. Like where, show me the evidence that this is sustainable, that this is ethical, that this works and does not cause harm. And mm -hmm. I don't think I quoted her exactly, but it's something along those lines. And yeah. show me the evidence that this doesn't cause harm and there is none. The only evidence that we have on um, like weight loss dieting is that it causes harm. Mm. Well, so, what a different conversation it could have been with doctors throughout my life if instead they talked to me about healthy habits I could increase. Exactly. Like, it, I think it would have been a very different conversation if they were like, how often are you moving your body? Like, how many servings of fruits and vegetables are you getting? Like, could we make a goal to have some more fruits and vegetables in your life? Like, I think that would have been a much healthier conversation for me that would have actually maybe made a positive impact instead of creating so much shame in my life. Or that they didn't assume anything based on your size, you know, to tell you yeah. that you're going to have trouble getting pregnant um, because you need to lose weight or you're at a higher weight is just so trash. <laughs> just like absolute trash because they don't know. First of all, they're not in their future. They don't know any of your biomarkers. They don't know what's going on in your body at all. It's, and it, it's an assumption and that's, you know, that's just weight bias right yes. there. And that's just fat phobia in our healthcare system. 
Well, you know, there's lots of countries where a lot, a vast majority of women look like me, and I bet they're still getting pregnant and having babies. Like, I mean, I'm not a physician, but I'm highly suspicious. Yeah. Places where the average BMI is closer to my body, and they're still having babies. Yeah, absolutely. No, I just want to say that I, like, greatly appreciate your work, and that, like, I think that this is really important, and I think that it's really important to be bringing it to the world, and um, I think that this can make a really big difference in a lot of people's lives. And so thank you for doing it. You know, yeah. sometimes it's not the easiest path, but I think it's really, really significant for people. And I think that the idea of intuitive eating and promoting that and working with people can help them find freedom in a way that, you know, even for me, I am seeing little ways from our like three sessions that we had just talking about my relationship with food, that it's making a difference in my life. So I just want you to know that you're appreciated. I'll reach out to you when I redo my website and you can write me a testimonial. I will happily write you a testimonial. Yay. Um, Um, Yeah. Thanks. I'm, I love this conversation. I'm always open to it. If anyone like wants to reach out who's listening because they want resources or they're just curious. um, I think it's so important and, and it just, everything in my life, up until this point just kind of makes sense now which I love Mm -hmm. I'm like oh yeah okay all those struggles make sense the path to nutrition and then that diverge okay cool yeah great I get it thank you universe (laughs) um (laughs) and so I'm really excited to bring this out into the world and just be like another voice and another advocate um just like trying to create safe space for women and and men too totally they they also deal with and like they're totally a part of this conversation they also deal with unrealistic body standards but i i do think that this this issue is more pervasive with women and um that's like who i intend to work with but you know it's rampant everywhere absolutely yeah well thank you thank you katie Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. For more info, check out my Facebook page, my Instagram, You and Your Bod Pod, and my website, www.youandyourbodpod.com. Our artwork was provided by the incredible Amber Catford. Seriously, check out her Instagram. And our music by a dear friend, Cinnamon Sugar. It's truly been an honor. See you next week. You're still breathing, you're the lucky one.